0: What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching. I am your host and your coach, Cody Boom Boom McBroom, and my job here today is to take you through everything I can, training, nutrition, and personal development. That is the goal of this podcast. It is to be a coach through your speakers and help you develop into the best version of yourself possible. If you are new to the show, do me two huge favors real quick. First one hit the subscribe button. We drop three episodes per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so I wanna make sure that you are constantly updated on the latest and greatest content. The second thing, scroll down in the description and check out our top four highest-ranked episodes by the listener. That's gonna be the Nutrition FAQ, the Training FAQ, Nutritional Periodization, and My Journey into Fitness. Today is episode one. It is part one of this six-part series on program design. It is titled training individual design, or individual training design, either way. Uh, Today's podcast is going to be similar to the last series. We got so much good reviews, and honestly, I just had a blast making it, but if you haven't seen the Nutrition for Fat Loss series or listened to it, it's available on YouTube, Facebook, uh, both video platforms, and it's on here on iTunes. I'm going to link both of those, the audio and the video experience, in the description of this episode as well, but if you didn't check that out, make sure you go do so. We got a ton of great reviews on it. Um, and Again, I had a blast making it every single week for eight weeks. I took everybody through a module on proper nutrition for fat loss, how to actually diet, how to set up your diet for fat loss. So naturally after I did that, I was like, I got to do more of these. I have so much fun educating and I think it's very, very powerful for people to see a step-by-step approach on how coaching is actually done successfully. So I reached out to everybody on Instagram. I asked what you wanted to learn next and the, the vast majority of people said program design. So what I have created is a six-part series on training individual design. This is specifically targeted on body composition, so we're not going to be talking necessarily um, about becoming the strongest version of yourself. However, you will absolutely get stronger in the process, but what we are going to be talking about is how to build maximum muscle and how to train for fat loss. So this is kind of an aesthetic course. It is... is built around the idea of training for aesthetics, training for body transformation. Um, And I'm gonna take you through each and every step, some that you may be ready for and you may have heard of, things like, for example, training volume, intensity, frequency, intensification techniques uh, like drop sets and reps, and cool things like that that are all in the science that we love learning about, however, really don't matter unless we lock in the basics first. So I'm actually going to take you through each step. And today is part one, which is going to be assessing and execution. So we're gonna talk about what you need to assess Not only your movement patterns, but also your past volume, your past training, your training splits, the frequency, the type of workouts you were doing from an intensity standpoint, and also past injuries, current pain, par-Q style questions. We're gonna go in depth with the assessment and what's actually important for you to understand before designing a new program for yourself or for your clients. And then after that, we're gonna talk about execution because I see a lot of people diving into volume and frequency and the things that we can uh, actually research and actually have data around around whereas they forget about execution. Execution is something that is perfecting your form and working the proper muscle groups in order to elicit a change. And I don't care how much you know about volume, but if you add up all the volume in the world but you're doing things incorrectly, it's junk volume, and it's not going to give you the same result, and it's not going to allow you to stay pain-free like we would want to when chasing results for our body. So before I go into too much depth and start talking about the exact topic of this module, because I get pretty fired up doing this, um, let's get on to this episode, And, and guys, Please remember that the best way to help me grow the show, so if you enjoy these episodes, if you enjoy these learning modules, please do me a huge favor because this really does help me. Take a screenshot of the show, head over to Instagram, post that screenshot on your Instagram story and tag me at Cody.BoomBoom so I can thank you for listening to the show and I can share it on my story. All right, now, without any further ado, this is part one of the six-part series on individual training design. All right, guys, so recently we did the Nutrition for Fat Loss series. Now we are going to do the Individual Training Design series. The reason I called it Individual Training Design is because we have to take the principles, methods, tools, ideologies, the research, all the stuff that we know about training, fitness, building muscle, losing fat, strength, all these things, and we have to create an individual design to fit you the listener, the viewer, whoever is going to use these methods in order to actually train better and see better results. Because we can have all the science, all the methods, all the research in the world, but if we can't practically apply it to our individual self, we're not going to design a good program. And I got so many people that gave me feedback on the last one. And when I asked about what we should do for the next one, everybody wanted to know about program design. And I think that's great but we're not gonna talk about fat loss training or hypertrophy training or strength training because the reality is there's gonna be a blend of everything inside of individual training design. Whether your goal is strength, hypertrophy, or fat loss, the principles and the methods do not change. How we use those as tools varies just slightly. So this series is going to be about creating your own program as a whole, individual training design. Specifically for aesthetics, uh, specifically for body composition, the people we work with at Boom Boom Performance mainly are targeting either fat loss or hypertrophy, building muscle. So everything we're going to talk about inside of this, it is going to relate to building strength. It's going to relate to hypertrophy specifically, building muscle, but it can relate to fat loss. And the reason I'm framing it this way is because I don't want anybody to watch this and be like, okay, that's cool, but I want to lose weight. What should I be doing? Well, what you should be doing is following the Nutrition for Fat Loss series while training for hypertrophy. The best way to train when you were targeting fat loss is to train to build muscle. I don't care if you're old, young, male, female, doesn't matter. No matter who you are, you should be targeting hypertrophy-based training if your goal is fat loss. And the reason I believe that is because during this style of training, you're gonna build strength, you're gonna have better joint health, you're gonna still get some cardiovascular benefit to it, you are still gonna burn calories in the gym, and you're gonna more likely maintain hormonal function and actual muscle tissue during a diet. So if we're trying to lose fat, we don't wanna lose weight, we wanna lose fat. We don't wanna lose a bunch of weight and end up skinny and not like the way we look. We wanna lose fat and still maintain muscle so when we get to that lean physique, we actually have something to show for. And that's why we're gonna talk about hypertrophy training in this. So again, even if your goal is fat loss, this is what you wanna do. Fat loss comes from a little more movement, so neat and or cardio on top of this, and nutrition on top of this. Your training will stay the same. And I just want to repeat that and preface that over and over again because we work with a lot of people. I'm talking about thousands of people over the years that have been targeting fat loss. And we give them strength training targeting muscle hypertrophy during that fat loss. And it helps them much, much more. And the even better part of that, and the reason we're not talking about cardio in this and we're not talking about nutrition in this, but only hypertrophy training is because hypertrophy training and what we're gonna show you in this allows you to consistently progress and vary your stimulus. So let's take cardio for example. If we are doing 30 minutes on the treadmill, that's our cardio, great. You're gonna burn fat, burn calories. It's gonna help you lose weight. I love it. The problem with that is, is your body can easily adapt to cardio. And there's only so much variation you can provide it. So after three weeks you've adapted, you need to change the stimulus because you've gotten so good at that cardio. Think of it like this, you're a hybrid now. A hybrid uses less fuel to drive. That's great for a car and saving money, but that's horrible for fat loss because if we are more efficient at doing cardio, we're burning less fuel, AKA calories, which is what we wanna burn during that cardio. So what do we do? We add 10 minutes. Now we're walking for 40 minutes during our list cardio. Three weeks go by, we've plateaued again. Now we're walking for 50 minutes. or we are doing more days of it? It's endless, but inside of this, we can change the variation of our exercise. We can change the order of our exercises. We can change our volume. We can change our intensity. We can add weight to the bar. There's so many things we can do that don't cause us to spend more and more and more time in the gym, but it still creates a new stimulus to build more muscle, burn more fat, burn more calories, speed up your metabolism, so on and so forth. All the things that are gonna help you effectively lose fat while maintaining muscle. So, I'm gonna leave that long preface of the fat loss because I know there's a lot of people watching this that wanna lose fat versus build muscle. But no matter if that's your goal or building muscle, this entire series is gonna be around individually designing a training program for anybody who wants to change their body composition. So, part one is gonna be assess and execution. And there's a couple of good reasons why we do this, but before I talk about why this is part one, I wanna talk about the different levels of these series so you can know what you're going to expect in the episodes there's going to be six episodes in this series so it's going to be about a month and a half long we're going to launch it every single monday episode one is assess and execution so assessment and how to execute properly the next episode episode two volume intensity and frequency this is how we gauge how much work is going into our program how much total reps and sets are we doing how hard are we pushing the load the intensity of our effort and how often are we stimulating muscles so the frequency behind it So we're gonna talk about that. Number three, and that's very, very important. That's one of the biggest keys in this. Number three, part three, is gonna be exercise selection and tempo. We'll also talk a little bit about rest periods in there. And this is gonna be basically what exercises are you fitting where? How do you kind of have a template or a skeleton, if you will, of movements, and then be able to fill in the proper exercises for you? And how do you adjust the tempo, the variation, the rest periods inside of your program to get the most out of it? Part four is going to be progressions and periodization. How do you progress week to week? How do you progress month to month and how do you periodize this over the year? We're going to break down how to set up the long-term scale of this design. After that, we have exercise sequencing. So this is actually similar to the progression and periodization, but on a day to day basis. So rather than looking at volume and all these different things, what exercises should go where inside your daily program and why does that matter? And we're going to talk about that for energy fatigue purposes, but also for joint health purposes. And then the last video is going to cover recovery, RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion and how to deload. This last one is kind of the icing on the cake that allows you to manage your intensities along the way during this individual training design to make sure that you can consistently make progress without burning out. And consistently work in the right effort and intensity zone to make sure that you're not falling short of your true potential, or going too hard too often. So today, part one, we're gonna talk about assessing movement and volume, and we're gonna talk about execution. So this one is gonna be a little bit shorter and it's gonna be more brief because it's a very simple topic, but it's very important because we can't even step foot into any of these other parts if we don't nail down the assessment phase first. A really cheesy line I always say to people that get on the phone with me before coaching is, this is like a GPS. I cannot get you to where you wanna be if I don't know where you're currently at, right? I need the, the starting address before I can get you to the ending destination. And it's the same thing with your body. If we we're going to transform your body in any way, shape, or form, we need to know where you're at right now and where you wanna go so I can give you the path to get there. That's why an assessment is so important. So the first part of an assessment when it comes to training is gonna be the movement screen. And this is gonna go a little bit beyond just doing an FMS, which I'm gonna talk about here in a sec. It's gonna be more than just putting your arms over your head and seeing how tight your lats are or how well you can do an overhead reach, but it's going to be about past injuries. So inside of a movement screen, what past injuries have you actually had and how have those affected you along the way? How are those affecting you now? We have to consider this before taking on a client or designing our program for a few reasons, but the main one being you don't want to further that injury. And if you need rehabilitation, that comes before any of this. If you were avoiding working on an injury, it's only going to exacerbate and get worse and worse. And then you can't even talk about volume, intensity, frequency, because as soon as you start applying effort and volume, you're gonna get more hurt and you're not gonna be able to do anything. So I am not a physical therapist and I am not here to screen you through a video camera. So what you need to understand is if you have any past injuries, that's the first checkbox you have to tick. You have to go see a specialist or you need to be able to handle it on your own. Find somebody that can teach you the proper things to rehabilitate that injury. But that's the first thing we need to be aware of. The second one is any current pain. This is a funny subject because there's some people that will say, if you have any current pain, you probably have a past injury or some kind of imbalance and you need to go back and work on rehab and mobility and things like that to avoid that. And although I will agree to an extent, I also know that there's some pains that will never go away. As we age, some things are unreversible. If you live a life, for example, if you live a life with bad posture and you've had protracted shoulders, tight hip flexors, and now you're 40 to 50 years old, it's not very likely that I'm gonna be able to 100% correct this and get you into a tall posture. You're not pliable like a 14 year old child is anymore. Bones of a young kid, joints of a young kid, I can manipulate those to an extent through exercise and actually change the way they stand in posture up but at a certain age you can't. So there's certain things you can't avoid. If you have pain in a certain exercise or movement pattern, it might not be because of an injury or an imbalance, it might be because that exercise is not designed for you. You do not have the proper biomechanics or levers and you can't control how long your limb lengths are or how long your trunk is how your torso is, certain people have different bone structure and that might eliminate certain exercises for them. And if they have pain in those exercises, we can't shun them from it or tell them to do mobility till it goes away because it won't. What we have to do is choose a different exercise that's going to work with them. And we're going to talk about that. But today, my point is look at your past injuries and look at your current pain. When you bench press, do you have pain? When you overhead press, do you have pain? When you squat, do you have pain? When does that pain start? At what depth? Are your heels leaving the ground when you do that squat? Well, maybe it is ankle mobility. Like what pain do you have? What current limitations do you have? And that's the next point here. FMS stands for functional movement screen. This is a really good test that I suggest everybody go. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes to where you can see more information about this. But essentially it's an assessment. You'll do an overhead reach. You'll do an overhead squat. You'll do a standing inline lunge where you have to lift your leg. You'll do uh, lying hamstring raises. You'll do a bunch of basic functional movement patterns, and they'll provide a screen for you. There's a bunch of different FMS style assessments as well, and you can even dumb this down. Reach overhead. Do your elbows lock out next to your ears? All the way overhead without your rib cage flaring up when you try to go over, without you creating forward head posture. If you do those things, we know that you can't comfortably and safely, while keeping your rib cage down, go all the way overhead. Even I have very tight posture where I want to lean forward. But if that's you, that's something you need to work on. We don't know until we do a functional movement screen. If you can't do that movement pattern properly without pain or limitation, what makes you feel like you should take a heavy barbell and press it overhead? Probably not much. You can do some lateral raises to build your shoulders while you work on that overhead extension, that thoracic extension, being able to keep your rib cage down and pack your chin while reaching overhead. None of this is available to you until you do a a screen or assessment of some kind on your movement. So as we go through this, we learn our limitations and then we can work on mobility, we can practice ranges and we can stretch. So if I'm reaching overhead and I notice that my limitation because I've done this functional movement screen is my lats, right? If I'm reaching overhead and I get about here and I'm like, my lats are like pulling me down. I can feel that tension in my lats. I might need to do some breathing and stretch my lats and I might be able to reach overhead. It might not be thoracic mobility, it might not be anything else, it might just be that my lats are super tight. So what can I do? Hang from a bar, hang overhead, lay on the ground, put my elbows on a bench, stretch my lats, and deep belly breathe. When you deep belly breathe, it's gonna create a parasympathetic tone, so your nervous system actually calms down, and it allows you to release that tension. So now I go into a lat stretch, I breathe, 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 I get the tension out, all of a sudden I have more range of motion overhead. Okay, cool, it's not gonna be fixed overnight, but what that tells me is that stretching my lats is the most likely thing to create or eliminate i should say that limitation so it's going to create more range of motion and again we wouldn't know that if we didn't do a screen if we didn't look at current pain and we didn't consider past injuries so it might be practicing end ranges so maybe you're just a little uncomfortable going overhead because you're not used to the skill or don't have the kind of like a mind muscle connection but to your joints if you don't have that connection or that thought process that neuromuscular uh, connection to be able to go, okay, I need to retract my scapula. I need to elevate my scapula while keeping my rib cage down. If I don't have that connection to my body, I can't create a posterior pelvic tilt while keeping the ribcage down and focus on my scapula moving. If I can't do all those three things together, I need more body awareness with my joints. So it has nothing to do with stretching or mobility. It has everything to do with practicing the skill behind going through ranges of motion inside of your joints. A good example of this is, What makes anybody believe they should do a heavy bench press if I can't comfortably, with load, keep my shoulders packed, AKA my scapula retracted and depressed, which is gonna cause my traps, my lats, everything in the back to fire. If I can't be in this position, and brace and create tension on that bar, why would I do a heavy bench press? Because if I don't, I'm gonna go into this anterior glide of my scapula, which is really just protraction, right? My shoulder's dipping forward, Now I'm pinching, I'm possibly going to injure bicep tendon, a bunch of different shoulder issues, pec minor, like I'm not creating tension in my pecs because when I'm in this protracted position, there's no stretch here. Part of building muscle is creating the stretch phase. There's a stretch contraction phase. I want to stretch the muscle and I want to contract it. Stretch, shorten, stretch, shorten. It's the stretch, shorten cycle. That's why we talk about these things, but if I can't move my joints properly, I can't even take my body through the range of motion needed in order to create that stretch shortening cycle, which is what builds muscle fiber. So what we want to do in this sense is focus on practicing those ranges constantly. If you're doing a row, practice a two point row, shoulder packed back, joints in place. Cool. Now I'm going to row the dumbbell. Don't fire the muscles until the joints work efficiently because your joints are what take the muscles through the range of motion. So we don't want to load that in a dysfunctional way. So I, I want to move on from that because I don't want to go too hard on that and work through the whole body because that's a completely different series in its own self. But the point here is once we find these limitations, we might need to stretch. We might need to practice the end ranges because we don't have the skill behind the mechanics and just getting our joints to move properly. Um, and we might need to work on mobility. There are scenarios where you are just too tight in certain areas. You don't have the range of motion. It's not about connecting to your mind. It's not about thinking what to do because you know what to do, you physically can't do it. And I see this most often in the thoracic spine. So the middle of your back, this is in charge for extension. This is also in charge for rotation without rotating your hips. So if we're doing a rotational drill and we don't have thoracic mobility, we're going to have some issues. If we don't have thoracic extension and we're trying to do overhead presses or lat pulldowns or chin ups. I won't be able to get into extension and actually fully depress my scapula and fully fire my lats. One of the best things I did for my lat development as a muscle was actually improve my thoracic extension. Because once I did that, I could get a full range of motion. And studies show a full range of motion leads to more muscle growth because we're taking the body and the muscles through that full stretch shortening cycle that I talked about just a second ago. So we wanna work on mobility to increase those things. A lot of people have issues with squats. Their knees hurt, for example. Well, your knees hurt because you have no ankle mobility and you're going into a squat. Now I'm leaning on my toes. I have no tension through my heels. And what happens when I don't have mobility in my ankles? My knees try to make up for that mobility when the knee is a more stable joint. What happens when the knee tries to do a job that's not its normal job? You get issues. And the easiest way to think about this is actually to look up, and I'll leave a link to this in the show notes as well, the mobility-stability mobility, stability, continuum. And this is the idea that every joint is stacked, either mobile or stable, and it alternates. And this helped me so much, kind of discover what clients were having, what injuries, and why. My ankle is mobile, my knee is stable, my hip is mobile, my lumbar spine is stable, my thoracic spine is uh, mobile, and it goes up the chain, basically. Stable, mobile, stable, mobile, every other joint. So what happens when my my hips are not mobile? My lumbar spine, my lower back, is going to try to create mobility, and it's a stable joint, and then I get low back issues right? Or my knees try to make up for that mobility and they get issues. So the point with this being is a lot of times you do need to work on mobility and you'll see that inside the movement screen. So at the end of the day, this first part of assessing is understanding past injuries, current pain, and limitations through a proper movement screen. You don't have to get too fancy with the movement screen. FMS is great, but if you don't have the equipment or you don't want to go that in depth, do a basic test to see where you are lacking mobility and stability, flexibility, and then go from there. Hiring a coach is obviously going to be a good, uh, a good way to go. This is why we have the Boom Boom Elite, which is our membership site where we create training programs. And I'm in there answering questions and talking about this stuff all the time, every single day of the week. And inside that group, we talk about these things. And this is one of the most important things. If you've never done a movement screen, you should do one. Because even if you don't have any current pain or past injuries, what it will do is reveal where you don't have a full range of motion. And once again, strength trained is where you have that strength in a range. Charles Poliquin has a really good quote, and I can't remember how it goes, but something similar to that, and what he's referring to is what you train is going to build strength in that range, right? And the best way to build muscle, shown by studies, is actually to train through a full range. So if I go do partial squats, I'm not gonna build the most muscle possible. But if I can teach myself to get into a deep squat, a full squat, that's gonna help me build muscle now. The only caveat there is some people aren't built for a barbell back squat. And we're gonna talk about exercise selection in part three. But the point with that is, just because you squat doesn't mean you need a back squat. You might not have the proper biomechanics or the limb lengths or the proper body period, joints stacked in a certain way to perform a back squat properly. But we're gonna move on. The next piece of this that we have to assess is total volume. When we look at creating hypertrophy, changing your body, one of the biggest precursors of predicting muscle growth is volume. There's study after study coming out that shows more volume equals more growth. Now, there's, there's diminishing returns. People shouldn't jump from 10 sets per muscle group per week all the way to some of what the studies have shown of like 40 sets per week. That's too drastic of a jump. You should jump the minimal effective dose. Add two sets first before you add 30. But my point is, is volume is still going to be one of the best ways to ensure proper muscle growth and or proper muscle maintenance during a cut. Neurological factors uh, are implemented too, and those are important, and that's intensity, so load of, in percentage-based uh, training, like strength-based training. We're going to talk about that in part two when we cover volume, intensity, and frequency. But today we're just going to talk about volume in general we know that we have to hit a certain amount of volume. That's why there are the volume landmarks made famous by Renaissance periodization. A really great idea that there's this kind of bell curve, right, and the low end of muscle growth is probably somewhere between five and 10 sets per muscle group per week. The high end apparently is between 30 and 40. It's way up there. Everybody's individual place is gonna fall differently. It's based on your genetics, based on how much you recover, based on other stressors in your life, based on your nutrition, your sleep but at some point in this bell curve, you, you find your sweet spot. That sweet spot is where you're gonna see the most muscle growth and it's when you're gonna be able to kind of hit your maximum recoverable volume, which is a term Mike Israetel popularized that really helps us explain how much volume we can tolerate, still recover from, and still see growth from. So finding that is the key, but we can't find that and we're gonna talk about that in the volume, intensity, and frequency episode, We can't even talk about that until we determine how much volume we're doing now. So the best way to assess this is to look at your training this week. Look at your training last week and the week before. If you've been following a typical program, like if you're following a structured program, you've probably been doing the same thing for the last three to six weeks. You're in a certain mesocycle, which is a block of training. You follow the same thing week after week after week, and you try to progress every week that is a mesocycle that's a program if you were in that case simply take the program that's on paper and count the sets per muscle group per week if you do not know and you just kind of go in the gym and wing it start writing down what you're doing write down what you did this week and if you can remember everything you did last week and what you're trying to do is tally up the sets that you are training each muscle group so if you did three sets of bench press four sets of dumbbell floor press and you did some cable flies right three sets of cable flies three, seven, 10, that's 10 sets of chest. If you did that one w- day per week, that's 10 sets per week of chest work pec development, right? If you do that twice a week, maybe you're on upper lower split, that's 20 sets per week. Either way, you need to go through every muscle group and you need to track these. The bigger muscle groups are gonna require more, the smaller uh, muscle groups and the muscle groups that are hit indirectly, so like a bicep is hit from curls and a row, those are gonna need less. And we'll get into that more specifically again in part two which will be really interesting but right now you need to assess your current volume and see where your current volume recoverability is how much volume are you currently doing and is that making progress for you if it's not you might need to add more if it's too much and you're not recovering from it we're probably gonna have to drop that that'll be later on but the point here is simple again assess your total uh sets per week how many sets per muscle group per week are you performing on a regular basis Write all those down. That's part of the assessment. The next part, gauge intensities. Intensities are going to be load and percentage of one rep max. So what I want you to do here is look at all the sets you're doing. Look at all the work. How big of a percentage of your total volume is coming from the one to three rep range? Better yet, one to five rep range. And how much is coming from the, say, six to 20 rep range? We have strength and hypertrophy rep zones. It's kind of a myth. We've debunked this idea that the eight to 10 rep range is like the hypertrophy muscle growth myth because at the end of the day, it's all volume. If you are lifting in a percentage above 80 to 85% of your one rep max, so you're lifting 80, 85, 90 to 100% of your one rep max, usually you are doing five reps or less. And if you are in that area of effort, that max intensity, that means you are predominantly working power and strength development. If you are working in the, say, 40 to 70% of one rep max, you're predominantly working in the hypertrophy rep zone. And it makes sense. When you're staying in the 40, 50, 60, 70% rep range, you can usually do 8 to 30 reps. That creates more muscle tension. That's more of a hypertrophy rep zone. But if you do a lot of sets of that 80 to 90 percent so maybe you're doing sets of three but you do enough volume to equate to growth volume that we already talked about it's not really a strength rep zone because you're building muscle from low rep training but the problem with that is it's very neurologically fatiguing it can take hours to get enough volume in so we still kind of have even though it's debunked we still kind of have these like rep zones for hypertrophy and strength my point with this is simple you need to assess how much of this is coming from it. If you know that you're doing 20 sets per week, but you're like, I'm not growing, well now let's look at your, let's gauge your intensities. If you go back to your intensities and you realize that 75% of your intensities are all in that low rep strength zone, you're not gonna build maximum muscle because your volume is coming from low rep sets. So that four sets of chest is nowhere near as much total volume as four reps of 10 reps right? If you do four sets of three with a heavy load, the volume is lower than four sets of 10. Therefore, more volume leads to more growth. But we don't know where you are at unless we assess and gauge our intensities. When we are approaching hypertrophy, and again, this is going to be in another section, but just to give you a little teaser, about two-thirds to three-fourths of your volume should be in that quote-unquote hypertrophy intensity zone. But before we get there and are able to kind of classify and categorize where your intensities are at, we need to know where they're currently at. So look at your training program, count your total sets per week, and then gauge how much of your training is coming in the high percentage, low rep training. So 80% or more of your one rep max inside your lifts, low rep training, and then how much of it is coming from, I would say like 60 to 70%, 50 to 70%, and it's usually higher rep training. Once you know that ratio, whether it's 50-50, 40-60, 75-20, write that down, we're gonna need that so we can adjust that in part two to make sure we get the most out of your gains. The last thing is the frequency and split. This is a completely another episode, but we need to again understand where it's at before we go anywhere. Your frequency and your training split is really just a tool to kind of uh, individualize your volume, intensity, and frequency. If you know how much volume you need, how much intensity you need, you need to understand the frequency, which is how often you hit a muscle group per week, You need to manipulate that to better handle the amount of volume you need to see progressions with your body composition so if we know that we got to hit 20 sets per week that's a very generic number but some that's a high volume for most people if i need to hit 20 sets per week on my lats to see some growth or to maintain them while i'm losing fat if i do all 20 sets in one workout i'm not even going to be able to move my arms my back is going to be fried And on top of that, the volumes are actually gonna drop because by the time I hit 10 sets, I'm so fatigued that my weights lower significantly. And studies show if I take that 20 sets and I split it between two or three workouts, I can lift more weight for the same given sets and that makes my total volume, sets times reps times weight, a little bit higher. That's gonna lead to better results and better recovery. So it's a a double-edged sword of just progress. It's better success. So usually frequency should be a little bit higher, but this is where we determine our training split. What works for you? How many days a week are you currently training and how many days can you optimally train? Two days, three days, four days, five days, six days? How many days a week works with your schedule and what's realistic and practical moving forward? We need to know that before we categorize and calculate all the volume and the exercise selection and progressions, all that stuff doesn't even matter if you don't know what your schedule and routine is and what you can actually adhere to. And then we can decide what the proper frequency is. Not only from a science-based perspective, but what you actually enjoy. I know for me, I enjoy hitting each muscle group two to three times a week because I like feeling the stimulus of more muscle groups working. I don't enjoy going to the gym and hitting one muscle super hard and just frying it. And I also don't like hitting every muscle every day because then I never get a pump because I'm doing so many different things. For me, two times a week is perfect because I like it, I enjoy it. I can focus on a muscle for long enough to get a pump, and then I can recover better to do it again in that week and not have to wait a full week to do it. So, some things to think about there. The last thing we're gonna talk about in part one, which is assess and execution, is execution itself. Range of motion and the mind-muscle connection. If you don't have good form, which is gonna be a big indicator and it's gonna be a result of uh, the FMS and kind of movement screen, if you can't execute an exercise properly, most of your volume will be what's called junk volume. Good example, if I'm doing a curl and I can't execute a curl properly because I don't have good mechanics and I don't have good mind-muscle connection to my muscles, I might get halfway, lean back, and shrug my shoulders to get the barbell up. Well, what am I doing now? My spinal erectors on my lumbar spine are firing to put me in extension, which gave me more range of motion, and my traps my traps are shrugging to get that barbell closer to my chin because my mind is just telling me get it up, and at that point, I'm not even working my biceps any harder at all. I'm shrugging and leaning back the weight. But if I drop the load, I create tension in my glutes and I stand tall and I go from a locked out position, which is a full range of motion, we want that stretch in the bicep, that's the stretch phase of the movement, and then we curl all the way forward, lift my elbows up until I get a full range of motion. Now I'm in the shortened cycle and I'm doing the full contraction. Now I've gone through a full range of motion using my joints properly and not activating any other muscle group. That is good volume junk volume would be leaning back and shrugging it up because now my biceps are doing 50% of the work, traps are doing 25, and my lumbar spine, my spinal erectors are doing 25%. My biceps are barely working on a bicep curl. And that's my point here. You need to practice execution. Lose the ego, drop the weight, execute things properly, and practice a full range of motion. Learn how to activate your muscles. When you can do that, you will build more muscle, you will avoid joint pain and injuries and you will see better progress with your body composition, no matter if your goal is fat loss or hypertrophy. So this last one isn't something I can teach you in today. It's just to give you a point and just make a statement that range of motion is very important for hypertrophy and muscle maintenance. So whether your goal is building muscle and gaining or losing fat, you need to practice a full range of motion. Mind-muscle connection is important to avoid junk volume and actually keep the volume in there. You could do 20 sets per week of junk volume and barely grill, or you could do 10 sets per week so you'd be nervous system-wise, you'd be more recovered and less burnt out of good volume because you're actually using the muscle that you think you're working. And now we're getting way more progress by doing less and hurting ourselves less. But that comes from having a connection and having the skill to actually fire and activate a muscle. And avoiding the injuries comes from range of motion add to that studies show a full range of motion leads to more muscle growth so guys to wrap this up this is part one i'm really excited about this series but this is the individual training design series you have to assess everything before you can determine what you need to do it's the only way to be successful we want to do a movement screen to discover what past injuries we have and current pains we have, and to go through an FMS, some kind of movement screen to figure out our limitations so we can work on them and improve them. Next, we're going to track our current volume. If we know our current volume and gauge our intensities and understand what frequency and split works for us, then we can look at proper programming later on. And last but not least, you need a full range of motion. You need to have the skill of firing a muscle you need to execute things properly so you can avoid issues and injuries in the future and actually get the right muscles working and avoid junk volume guys once again this is part one of the individual training design i'm super excited about this be tuned for five more episodes launching on every single monday on podcast and on youtube and on facebook live on video or audio whatever you prefer and if you have any other questions comment below if you want more free content from us check out boomboomperformance.com